All right. Open with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 5. And actually, though we're going to be finishing up the... Is that a bit loud? Can you knock that down a little bit? Though we're going to be finishing up the book of Acts, or the chapter 5 in Acts, if I can talk correctly tonight. We're going to be visiting a lot of scripture tonight. And I want to start with this verse. I didn't actually bring the reference, but you should be familiar with it. I hope you're familiar with it. And it's the words of Jesus in which he says, In this life, you will have trouble. In this life, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So that's Jesus giving us the inside scoop and also some encouragement that he has already overcome the world and all the things in it for our sake. But it's interesting, uh, Jesus spoke a lot about the trouble of this life, you know, about a lot about the trouble and the tribulations that we were going to go through. And uh, he's a pretty good, pretty good guy to talk about that. He was pretty qualified in the areas of, of trouble. You see, Christ experienced a great deal of trouble and trauma and hatred in his life towards him. In fact, it was the working plan of God that led Christ into a lot of these trials and to a lot of this trouble, even to the point of the cross. And we have the Old Testament scriptures that depict to us, yes, the Messiah is coming, and we know, looking back, now has come. But the Old Testament scriptures, they describe a suffering Christ. That God would come down in flesh to be born of a virgin, to be the light to the world, to save his people. But in order to do that, he must suffer. Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 9, speaks a, a great deal. Well, all of Isaiah 53 is about Christ, and it's, it's vivid. But I'm going to focus on these verses just to get us going. Talking about Christ, the Messiah to come, Isaiah writes, He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. 
because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So Christ came, and he came for you and I, and he came prepared to suffer. And because I'm, I'm quite aware of uh, the situations going on in so many people's lives, I want to, before we talk, what we're going to talk about tonight are the three ways in which all Christians are called to suffer with Christ. Now it sounds kind of weird, like, wait a minute, didn't I sign up this for sign up for this, you know, for blessings and joy and I didn't sign up for suffering. Right? But we're gonna talk about the three ways in which all Christians are called to suffer. Before we do that, do I I do want to make the point that there are ways that we as Christians are not called to suffer. Right? There is suffering that we can cause in our own lives due to sin and due to disobedience, right? There are the afflictions that Satan brings against us. He attacks our lives, our family. He wants to bring sickness, demonic oppression, all these things. And while God will use every single thing, whether good or bad, for his glory and for his purposes, those are not necessarily things that we're called to suffer, but rather things in which we're called to trust in Christ to deliver us from. Just a precursor. So there's, there's some sort of a positive note. So we're going to talk tonight about three ways, though, in which all Christians are called to suffer. And the title of tonight's message is indeed Suffering Servants. So in Acts chapter 5, verses 38 through 32, we've come to this point where the Peter and the apostles, they've been preaching and proclaiming Jesus in the temples. People are getting saved. The Holy Spirit's falling upon them in signs and wonders. And they've been arrested and released and uh, arrested and released. And now the Pharisees and the Sadducees are plotting in their hearts to kill them. They're going to kill them. And thankfully, there was one man who stood up with enough wisdom to say, hey, let's just leave these guys alone. If this is of God, you can't, over, you can't overcome them. You know, what are you going to do, fight, fight against God? But you know what? If it's a plan of man, let him be. Because it'll come to nothing. And that's wisdom. So we're going to pick up uh, verse 38, where he uh, finishes saying that. And now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. And they agreed with him. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded them that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And they let him go. So they, the apostles, departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Man. So I want you to imagine yourself for a minute. we got a bake sale coming up, so we're going to use that. I want you to imagine that we all show up for a bake sale. Okay, We're raising money for the church. And... As we've got this bake sale going on, we got brownies and cookies and all kinds of good stuff. So some people start showing up, and somebody asks, hey, you know, what are y'all doing? What are y'all, what are y'all raising money for? We're like, oh, you know, we're from the church, and yada, yada, yada. And suddenly, you're having a conversation. Now I want you to imagine just the door opened up. Now you're, you're telling them about your faith, about how you came to know Jesus. And now two or, their, two or three of their friends are now standing around you, and they're all listening. 
And now they're asking you questions about the Bible. They're asking you questions about church. They're asking questions about your life. And so you're talking with them. And suddenly you see a couple of other people interested. And now there's, there's a small little group, and they're all listening to what you have to say. And as you're talking about what Jesus has done in your life, you see one woman just come forward, and she's crying, and she's bawling. She says, how, how, how can I be saved? And so you give her the gospel, and she, right then and there, she gives her life to Christ. And two other people, a woman and a man, they're so moved that they come forward too. And now there's such a commotion that as people are coming inside, they're stopping, and now there's a crowd. You notice there's a crowd of people watching you. And as, you, as these next two people, they begin to pray and give their life to Jesus, you hear the grumbling in the back. And then people are arguing, and suddenly there's an uproar. And now the store owners are coming outside. The police are getting caught, are being called. There are people fighting in the parking lot. And because of all this commotion, nobody knows what's going on now. It's chaos. You get arrested. Now you're in jail. Right? And guess what? It was Saturday. So now you're stuck in jail until Monday until the judge shows up. <laughs> okay? Sucks to be you. Right? And you were supposed to go to work. So now you probably lost your job. You don't know how you're going to explain getting arrested. All you were doing was trying to share your faith. So you finally get out on Monday. You're driving, and sure enough, you're stopping to get some gas. And you see the same people that started the uproar. And they come, and they start pushing you around. Next thing you know, you're getting beat and left on the ground. Imagine yourself in that place. How do you think you would react after that? What would be your thoughts? How do you think you would look at your situation? How do you think you would look at those people? How do you think you would look at your ability to testify in the future? Just think about that for a second. Here's another question. If God would have told you in a dream before the bake sale that you're going to be arrested, that you were going to lose your job, and then that you were going to be beat and left, let's just say you got a broken rib, or, you know, he told you all those things were going to happen before you went to the, hey, if you go to the bake sale, this is, this is what's going to happen. And he said, but three people are going to come to know me. That's it. He doesn't say to go. He doesn't say not to go. That's all he says. If you go, this is the outcome. I wonder what our reaction would be. You know, and it sounds a little bit far-fetched uh, far for us, maybe. You know, like we're probably not going to get arrested and jumped after a bake sale. But, uh... I've got friends all around the world where this is not far-fetched, where this is everyday reality. My friend Shaju, when he came and he stayed with us for a week or so, he's from India, and while he was here, he woke up at 4 a.m. to pray, just like he does every single day, and he got a phone call saying that his brother, uh, not Daniel, the other brother, but y'all know him anyway, so it doesn't matter, I guess, Santhosh, he has some weird name, Santhosh, his brother Santhosh was at a prayer meeting in India, that's all they were doing, they were just offering free prayer and the Hindus rushed in with the police, beat them, and dragged them all to jail. 
and he, his brother, Santhosh, was now in prison with five other pastors because they were having a prayer meeting. Now, thankfully, Santhosh got out within a day or so. The other pastors were in there longer. I'm not sure all the details. So this is not, this might be far-fetched for us, but this is reality. And if nothing else, this was definitely Christ's reality, that everywhere he go, he went, the leadership and the world was persecuting him, even to the point of calling him a blameless man, the Son of God, guilty, and murdering him on a cross. But look at this in verse 41. After they were beaten, they were commanded not to speak about Jesus, and they were let go. And in verse 41, it says that they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. That's kind of crazy, right? We got meds for people like that nowadays. But I wonder, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing to, that they were in a place in their life that because that of their witness of who Jesus was, that's why they were in suffering, right? They weren't suffering just for the sake of suffering. That's not good for anybody. Can we agree that suffering in general is not good? And let's just, let's just, hey, Lord, let's just cross that part off, right? Can we do that? But they were suffering for the name of the Lord, and they found it that it meant that they were worthy of their Lord to experience the same things he did. And I wonder, do we find ourselves worthy to suffer for Christ's sake? Are we so in tune with the Lord that the only way to have a deeper communion with the Lord Jesus is in fact to share in his sufferings? Think about that for a second. It's kind of interesting. We've, get, we've, we've received his spirit. We can walk in his love. We can obey his commandments, right? We can love one another. We can pursue righteousness. We're in prayer. How do we get closer to our Lord? Rather than to share in his sufferings. Now you might say, well, I don't really like that. That doesn't sound like a good idea. I'm going to switch churches next week. No, please don't do that. But uh, you can if you want, I guess. I'm not going to beg you, but uh, let me give you a reason not to. Philippians 1, verse 29 says, For it has been granted to you, or I'm sorry, for it has been granted, third time's a charm, for to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Philippians 1, 29. 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 through 5. We ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence. Let me read that again. Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. Man. Man, man, man. See, these guys, they knew there was something more than just suffering. That, that If that was all, if they were just suffering just because that was somehow pious or religious, they're probably like me and would have been like, I'm out. Right? Like the Buddhist monks that lit themselves on fire. Yeah, that ain't happening, dog. That's not me. All right? 
but that they realized that they were suffering for the sake of the kingdom. And that as much as they experienced here on earth in their flesh, they were going to be rewarded tenfold in the heavenly kingdom. And because they were suffering on behalf of Christ, they knew they were doing something right. And he was with them. And that is a bittersweet reality. Now, I've never been jailed. Well, I've never been jailed for Jesus. Um, I've never been beat up for Jesus. But I have been through, how should I say, some very tense and interesting situations with people because of my witness for Christ. And I've even lost friends and opportunities because of my relationship for Christ. In fact, this weekend, I told you I was so excited about that guy getting baptized. Yeah, that was against the rules. They didn't like that very much. So I didn't, I didn't make any friends with the leadership there, which is silly to me. But that's a very small example. So it's a bittersweet thing because here's this, I don't want to lose relationships, right? I don't want people mad at me. I don't want these things. But when they happen, and I know without a shadow of a doubt that the Holy Spirit led me to do those things and that Christ was glorified, there is no greater, there's no greater feeling than knowing that the only reason someone hates you is because you love them with the love of Jesus. It's a, it's a bittersweet thing, but you know you're walking with the Lord. And so there's three types of suffering that we should all experience as believers, Okay. So we're going to cover them real quick. The first type is the suffering of discipline and sacrifice. It's a suffering that you bring really upon yourself to discipline yourself, to sacrifice for others. Then there's the suffering of sonship. That if you are truly born again, God has called you a son. That's the Greek word for heir. You've been called an heir to the kingdom of God with Christ. You inherit everything, dog. You're good. And you are now a son, and your father will discipline you. The third type of suffering we, sh we should experience is the suffering for righteousness. That we live in a dark and twisted world who hates the truth. And that if you stand for the truth, at some point in your life, you will suffer for it, rather small or large. And if you don't stand for the truth, you never will. So the first thing we're going to talk about is the suffering of sacrifice and discipline. See, the suffering of discipline and sacrifice is the first suffering that we tend to experience as Christians, right? It's kind of a self-inflicted thing, but it's, it's good. It has all of these sufferings bear fruit. They're not in vain. Can we say hallelujah to the fact that God does not let our suffering go in vain? That is amazing, right? None of it. So, for example, anybody here who's ever forfeited smoking for the Lord's sakes? There's uh, some days, some weeks, there's some months there that you're suffering a little bit here, giving up those cigarettes. It ain't fun, right? But it's for your benefit, right? So you suffer a little bit in the flesh to give something up for the Lord to draw closer and to, and to, to if nothing else, be a healthy man I, or woman, whatever. And so you know what it feels like to have your flesh screaming for a cigarette and being like, not today, devil. 
But anybody who's ever lived, you know, a life of darkness, I know I have, surrounded by a wicked group of people who you thought are your friends and family, and you have Christ pull you into his grace, and you have to, you have to break those relationships. And that hurts at first because you don't know another way. Right? It hurts. You're suffering. There's a discipline that you're putting on yourself for the sake of the Lord. See, and Jesus himself calls people to sacrifice things and discipline themselves in righteousness to be his disciples. In fact, that's a requirement. Look at Jesus before he started his ministry. You know the first thing Jesus did? Actually, second thing. First thing Jesus did was get baptized by John the Baptist, right? Immediately after he was baptized, you know what he did? He spent 40 days in a desert fasting. Who here thinks that really sucked, right? I've never made it past seven days. I don't want to go 40, okay? 40 days in a hot desert, didn't eat nothing. And he suffered through that so that he could be tempted by the devil, so that he could come through that unscathed and thus fulfill the will of the Lord. So it's a suffering of sacrifice. Also, I'm going to read a couple verses real quick. Luke 14, 13 says, So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. Not saying you got to get rid of everything, but you got to be willing to. Matthew 6, 39 through 42 but I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. For whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak. And whoever compels you to go one mile, guess what? Go with him two miles. Give to him who asks. And from him who wants to borrow, do not turn away. Right? I've had a lot of people who want to borrow a lot of things. And I knew up front I was never going to see it again. Is, that's kind of a bummer, but I, I'll tell you what, when you have the mindset on the front end that, hey, I'm never going to see this again, and I'm giving it for Christ, not for this person, you're good. And if you get it back, well, hey, surprise, surprise. <laughs> that's, a, that's a blessing. But there's a suffering of sacrifice that every Christian is called to have, that if we're not, if we're not pulling away the things of the flesh to draw closer to the Lord, if we're not allowing his spirit to sanctify us for not disciplining. I got to discipline myself to read and to pray and to do these things. I do. It's a discipline, man. Because sometimes I want to wake up. I want to drink my coffee. I want to wear my joggers. I want to scroll on Facebook. And then I want to go play guitar for half an hour. That's just what I want to do. You know, I'm a pastor. I'll preach on Wednesday. It'll be all right. <laughs> right? Man, y'all didn't see, y'all didn't know. Y'all knew there were people that only showed up on Wednesday. You didn't know there were pastors that only read on Wednesdays, did you? No, that's not, I don't do that. I feel like it sometimes, I don't do that. That'd be bad. The second type of suffering that we're called to endure is the suffering of sonship, right? And I said, sonship is this. It's the fact that you have, if you've accepted Christ, you have become a child of God. And that's not like, oh, we're all children of God because we're his creation. And that's not what I mean. Is that true? Sure. Okay. That's very true, right? But you have become his, his child, his heir. He has claimed you. 
and he has given you the right to claim him, right? And that's a blessing. However, the suffering of sonship is the suffering we receive from the Lord's own hand. For the benefit of ourselves, the benefit for our peers, and the benefit for our eternity. So let me give you an example. John 15, 1 through 2, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. But every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So imagine yourself as a nice little branch, a leafy branch, right? You're nice and leafy. You're feeling good, right? You got all your leaves. They're all green. You're big and bushy. <laughs> and then here comes some dude with his big old scissors. He just starts chopping off your leaves. <laughs> you know, you're like, dude, whoa, back up there, buddy. You know, I don't know what plants feel like, but I don't think that feels very good to get cut back, okay? To have God himself cut back the wealth of your life, right? The abundance of your life, to cut things out. But notice he says he does it so that you'll bear more fruit. That's his desire for all of us. And when you get to heaven, God's not gonna say, hey, uh, how many times did you go to church? He's not going to check your attendance. He's not going to look at how big your house was. He's not going to look at your car. He's going to say, did you repent? Did you bear fruit? Did you follow me? That's what he's going to look for. And so when he prunes those things out of our lives, usually it's not a fun process, especially when you're not used to it happening, right? You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. God, what is going on? But he does it for our own good, actually so that we can have more on the other end. The most extreme example is Job. God allowed Satan to come against Job. Job lost all his children. He lost all his money, all his wealth. All he was left with was a wife that told him, hey, curse God and die. That's it. Satan's, tr he's tricky. He, got, he did that on purpose, okay? But, uh, <laughs> and he went through that, that, that struggle, that time. And on the other side of that, the end of Job, not only does God come down in a whirlwind and speak to him face to face, which is pretty cool, terrifying, mostly terrifying, but also cool. But he also ends up with twice as many children, with twice as many camels, camels, right? With twice, he was twice as wealthy than when he began. And when he steps into eter the eternal kingdom, he's going to have twice as many children. Amen. So he causes us to grow. He causes us to be stronger in our faith, to be more fruitful. And here's another encouraging word, Hebrews 12, 7 through 11. If you are enduring chastening, guess what? God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But check this out. If you are not, if you are without chastening, of which we have all become partakers. Anybody here dealt with a little chastening from the Lord? Amen. If you are without chastening, then you are an illegitimate and you are not sons. Furthermore, we all had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we much not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed to them best. But he, God, chastens us for our profit 
that we may be partakers of his holiness. Verse 11. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You know, I got three boys and one on the way. I give out some whoopings, right? I appoint some timeouts. I take away toys, right? I do all kinds of crazy stuff. I even got a Nerf gun. Sometimes I just shoot them in the butt. <laughs> nah, I only did that like twice. It's all right. <coughs> Anyways, you know, am I just a sadist? I just, I just like whooping kids. Like, it just makes me feel better because I'm mad. No, no, that's a don't, don't be shaking your head. <laughs> I mean, nodding your head yet. What is wrong with you people? No. I discipline my children so that they can learn actions that are correct and actions that are incorrect. So that as they grow, they will be built up in character. And that through their discipline, they can learn to be men of integrity, right? They can learn the ways of righteousness. And they can learn that in life, if you screw up, you're going to get disciplined. You're going to go to jail, all right? Let's just put it straight. Don't do that. That's not good. So I do it for a purpose for their benefit, but I'm I'm a messed up dude, right? I don't got it all figured out. I discipline the best way I can. It might not always be right, but God, on the other hand, God knows all things, and he's perfect, and he loves you, and everything he does is perfect. And so when we receive pruning from the Lord, it's a perfect work for a perfect plan, for your perfect good. And it's something we have to know and have trust in, right? Because honestly, guys, that's how I learned the power of prayer. You know how I learned the power of prayer? I spent five years out on bail. Five years going to court almost every single month. Five years of having trial and then getting pushed back. Five years of getting six different plea offers. Five years before my charges were dismissed. Never knowing, am I going to jail next month? Am I going to prison? Are they going to up my charges? Are they going to hit me with the organized crime? Never knowing. I spent a year, well, I'll tell you that story of another time. My child's in the room and it's about him. Um, been through a lot of interesting things and it was through those trials and tribulations in which I prayed in a way I've never prayed before that taught me the power of prayer it was God showing up in unspeakable ways it was standing before a judge guilty and having the judge tell me I wasn't allowed to plead guilty who does that nobody it was through those things in which I learned God's mercy and was built up in my faith it was, through <laughs> it was through having a father who was in the banditos, who had affair after affair after affair after affair on my mom. It was through two years of seeing my mom on her knees, crying her eyes out every single night. <laughs> you, know, you know, crying out, Lord, bring my husband home. It breaks my heart to even think about for her, not so much for me, for her, you know, and seeing him come home. That built my faith. And so it's for our good. And the interesting thing that we can understand is that Christ himself went through 
Hebrews 4.16 says that Christ, he's our great high priest, right? Well, Hebrews 4 might be a little bit 4.16. Anyways, he's experienced all temptations just as we have, yet without sin. He understands. And check this, Hebrews 5.8, though he, though Christ was a son, big S, heir, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. If Christ was called to perfection through his sufferings, how much more shall we? But it's a discipline of a loving father, right? And not every, again, not all suffering is God chastising you, right? This is, this is very specific, the pruning and the, the discipline of God, okay? Finally, the suffering of righteousness. And this is the suffering that we see taking place here in Acts chapter 5. This is the suffering that we see taking place at the crucifixion of Jesus, at the martyrdom of every single one of the apostles except for John. Of course, John was boiled alive in oil and then cast to an island, so that's, you know, that's not fun. Anyways, different story. Because they suffered and sacrificed, they had also suffered for the sake of sonship. And they had been built up and transformed into the image of Christ. Do you know that that's God's will for everybody in this room? To be transformed into the image of his son? It's Romans 8, 29. That's his will for you. First and foremost, the blessings and all that, that comes as part of it. But, but will number one, be transformed into the image of his son. And so in pursuing Christ and pursuing righteousness, something happens, whether you like it or not. It just happens, right? And what happens is we become enemies to the world. Christ's nature and the world's nature don't line up. That's what it, that's all it is. Christ's values and the world's values, they don't add up, right? And his way and their ways clash. So out of anger, Jealousy, envy, all these different things. The world lashes out at God. If, there's some, if, the, if you don't understand this yet, you need to understand it. The world is angry at God. The whole world. No such thing as atheists. There's just a lot of angry people. Okay? And so, lashing out at God, they end up lashing out at the only people they see God in. And if you are walking with Christ, that will be you. So my two verses for the, or my verse for this is 1 Peter 4, 9, in which Peter writes, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good. As to a faithful creator. As a faithful creator. If you seek to be a disciple of Christ, you will experience kickback, right? But God is faithful, and we have the joy of committing all things to him, regardless of the circumstances. This is why in Acts 5.41, that they left after being beaten, and they were rejoicing because they realized we have been counted worthy to suffer. Let me put it to you this way. If I found out that Jeffrey was, you know, jumped and beat up and left an entertainment parking lot, 
And I was like, oh, my God, what happened? He was like, man, they beat him up because he was a Christian. I'd be like, what? How'd they know he was a Christian? What was going on? Wait, what happened? What? He was preaching? Man, Jeffrey, what's going on, man? What church are you going to? Oh, wait. I'd be, there'd be, there would have been something evident. There would have been something powerful in his life. There would have had to have been something real happening in his life that people could see for that to be the outcome. Because if you're just a Christian and you leave the world alone, they don't really care. They don't care, right? You look at them, they beat the apostles. They said, don't talk about Jesus, and they let them go. They didn't tell them to stop being Christians. They didn't say they couldn't worship. They just said, don't you tell anyone. Don't you preach the name of Jesus anymore. That is what the world hates. And when you begin to stand for the living God, you know what happens? People are confronted with the truth. People are confronted with their sins, and they can't hide them anymore, and they become angry. So should you seek persecution? No. Don't go out of your way looking for it, right? But if you receive none, the book of James tells us that he who is a friend to the world is an enemy of God. And that's not where I want to be, right? I love people so much, I'm willing to tell them the truth in love. Really, it is. It's love. And sometimes people don't want that, which is all it is. So we're called to suffer in the same spirit of our Lord, right? Knowing that as we do, we draw closer. As we walk with Christ, so we're in Christ. And as we're in Christ, we will see Christ. So to close, guys, we're called in the same spirit as our Lord Christ to continue his ministry, right? That is your purpose, to continue his ministry. Giving our, we should be giving ourselves in joy, allowing God to prune us so that we may have increase and being persecuted with boldness that we may prove the genuineness of our faith. As disciples and heirs of God, let us be ones seeking righteousness, right? So here's, I have a couple of questions to, to end our sermon tonight. Um, where are we suffering in our lives? We're called. We, I read the verse, right, that said that we are actually called to suffer. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God. No, that's not it. Maybe I didn't read it. Anyways, there's, there were too many. I had so many verses to, to bring to you. It was crazy. So we're called to suffers, to walk as he walked, as it says in Peter. So where are we suffering in our lives? I want you to just think about your life. Are you sacrificing and disciplining yourself in any way that you might obtain more of him, have a greater relationship with him? That's the easiest way to sacrifice, to suffer, just to, just to give up something, just to give up 30 minutes of your morning, right? To give up that one show so you can read the word. To give up your fear of man so you can pray for those who need it. Are you, are you suffering in that way anywhere in your life? Are we suffering and being pruned by God? Is God <laughs> working in your life, even in places you maybe you don't want him to? Because that's usually, you know, I, you know, that's how it happens sometimes. 
Are you being convicted? Is God pulling away those things that are drawing you away from him? If not, the Bible says we're illegitimate sons, right? Rejoice in those things. And are we experiencing the trials of being uncompromising in our faith among a crooked world? Or are we seeking to be their friend? If nothing else, we can take heart that we know that we do not suffer for the sake of suffering and that Christ has not called us to suffer for the sake of suffering. In fact, he's called us into deliverance, into joy, into peace, into kindness, into goodness. But that and when we do suffer for his sake, we're rewarded. So I want to close with with this verse. And we're going to pray right after this verse. Romans 8, 16 through 19, this passage, I guess. Where Paul writes, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together, guys, together. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons, you, of the sons of God. Amen. Let's pray.